Uh, good to see you this morning. So grateful that you are here. We're going to be continue our series in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 15 and 16. This morning, if you're watching with us online, really grateful that you are here. If you're new to church or that maybe this is your first time to this church, you, you are parachuting in right into the middle of the uh, uh, lengthy study on the book of Revelation, which is it's going to seem weird when we start talking about three frogs and, you know, all kinds of stuff. You're like, what is this weird church? Uh, just hang with me. So uh, let me just say that the, the study of Revelation, just, just by way of recap, Revelation is a vision given to John, the disciple, by Jesus on the island of Patmos. And it's, it's written down and recorded, and we have it. It was distributed to him about 95 AD, first then taken to seven churches in biblical Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And uh, then uh, it went from there viral. I mean, can you think about, you know, if you, if you had a, a video that went viral, you'd have millions of, of hits, right? Well, this is a letter written in 95 AD that we're reading today on the uttermost part of the earth compared to where, where this thing began. And so it, it really did go viral. And, uh, and the, the, the whole point of the letter is to, to, to paint for us a picture of what is going to happen as Jesus brings about the restoration of all things. Because we know the world is broken. We get that it's broken because of sin hasn't been right since the first sin in Genesis chapter three. Before that, it was paradise, but sin marred everything. I know my life is wrought with sin. You know, your life is wrought with sin. It's not even an argument we have to really, uh, you know, make. It's just, we know we do things that, that aren't of God. And so revelation then just it, it reveals to us not any kind of code or anything like that that like we have to figure out but it reveals to us a picture of what jesus will do at the end of this time to restore all, all things and that's where we're gonna sort of pick up today so we have been i'll just say since the resurrection of jesus christ on that day until now and until until these things come to fruition, we have been in a season of grace uh, where the wrath of God has kind of been held back. The, the way I, I think about it is, uh, as I read the scriptures, the way I think about it is like there's this giant dam and it just... It's, his name is Jesus, and he just holds back the wrath of God until that time in which God says, uh, now we must pour out these bowls of wrath. So we've been talking about Revelation as a new exodus. Like this is a picture of the people of God coming out of this land of bondage and brokenness, just like the children of Israel came out of Egypt. It's a picture of us coming out of bondage through judgment just like the people of israel came through the plagues through judgment and then into a final promised land for the people of israel that was the land of israel uh, for the children of god reading the, the letter uh the book of revelation this is a new jerusalem a new heaven a new earth we'll get to the fun stuff in about two more weeks but we got like two more weeks of wrath and fury uh which is Bad news, but good news. So stand with me. We're going to read Revelation chapter 15, 1 to 8 together, but we'll actually be looking at Revelation chapter 15 and 16. 
We'll just read verses 1 to 8 of, of chapter 15 now. Here's what the scripture says. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened and out of the sanctuary came came the seven angels with seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You can be seated. What I'd like to talk about today is the righteous fury of God. Now, I will tell you, I believe, this is just my perception growing up in church over the last, you know, 48 years. uh, This is my perception. People connect with, in church, people connect with the love of God. and, And though they might not intellectually, they want to wholly reject the fury or the wrath of God. Because it doesn't seem like the two go together. But what we're going to see in this end times revelation is that our God is a loving God, but he is also a God of fury. And I want to answer the question why our loving God is a God of fury. I use the word fury on purpose because you'll see it in your translation as wrath, wrath, wrath. But equally, it could be the word fury. Uh, that word to me like connotates so much more than wrath because we've overheard wrath. But when you think that God is furious in a just way, furious with the condition of the heart of men and women, with the, the, the problem of sin, with the evil that takes place on on the planet throughout the generations. This is our God. And and why is he a loving God and also a God of of fury? It's because of who he is. It's because of his very character and nature. And we see this in Revelation 15 and Revelation 16. So I'm going to kind of pull pieces of those two chapters out now to to answer this question, why our loving God is a God of fury. And then we'll go through these uh, seven bowls judgments of of god god's wrath so why is he loving and furious at the same time verse 15 uh, chapter 15 verse 3 it says and they sang the song of moses the servant of god and the song of the lamb so this this everything we're getting ready to say 
in this little section is described as the song of Moses and the song of the lamb. Now, I want you to hear that because we've been talking about a new exodus. Who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses. He was the deliverer. Who is bringing the children of God out of bondage into promise and restoring all things? Jesus. He's the deliverer. And this is his song. And this is what we learn about God in it. If you look at verse three, it says, great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the almighty just and true are your ways. So there's a couple things that we're going to learn very quickly. O King of the nations. So it's because of who he is. He is the Lord God almighty. So when we get Lord God, we're, we're talking about the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is almighty, not meaning like some kind of mighty, or he's pretty strong or anything like that. He's almighty. He's more mighty than any other. He's the covenant God and he is almighty. It says that he is the king of the nations. So he's not the emperor of, of Rome. He's not the little K king of kings who oversees all of the Roman empire and all the kings of different parts of, of Rome. No, he is the king of the nations. That word nations is people groups. He's the king of all people groups. Way bigger than Caesar. It's because of who he is, his character and his nature. This is who he is. Verse four, it says, uh, who will, who will not fear? O Lord, and glorify uh, your name for you alone are holy. Now, this is his character. It says for you alone are holy. So when you hear that you alone are holy, who else is holy? Nobody else. For you alone are holy. It is his character and his nature that defines holiness. He's perfect. I have a problem when it comes to my relationship with God without Jesus. My problem is I'm not holy. And all the scripture tells me, why am I not holy? Because I sin. How many of you knew that, Pastor Brian? Flat sinner. Come on. Raise your hand. Be loud. Be proud. Don't condemn me, though. But be, be understanding, right? So I have the problem. I can't walk into the presence of God because he's utterly holy. the way I read scripture, you walk into the presence of God without the clothes of righteousness that Jesus provides for us on the, on the cross. You are, you're vaporized. You can't stand. You can't survive that. That's why in the Holy of Holies, only one time of the year, the, the high priest went in on the perfect day, Yom Kippur, after he did all the washing. And even then they were really scared. He wouldn't make it out because he, he even the high priest with all the washing and all the sacrifice and everything and God allowing him in has to come into the presence of God with fear and trepidation because God is holy and we just aren't. See, it's because why, why is our loving God a God of fears? Because we, his creation are unholy and he alone is holy. 
I mean, if you just just continue to to track what we what we learn about him in this verse three, it also says, "Just and true are your your ways." He is always just. He is always true. I'm not always just. I am not always true. There's no person walking the planet that is always just and always true. But God, Lord God Almighty, is always just. His justice is is executed perfectly. He is always true. He never gets it wrong. He never believes falsehood. He never propagates lies. He is always true. See, it's because of who, who he is. This is why he is also a God of fury. Chapter 16, verse 4, if you if you just turn over there for a minute, it, it echoes this in another song. It says, just are you, O holy one, who is and was, for you brought these judgments. Now, now this is in the middle of like these bowls of wrath being poured out. And what heaven is telling us in the midst of this atrocity is that everything being done right now is because God is just and true. He's right, no matter how unfair you think this is. He is right in executing these judgments. See, because he's just and true. And this makes him a God of fury. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 16, if you just look at that, and I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, we've talked a lot, a lot of judgments, seal judgments, trumpet judgments. Today, we're going to talk about bowls judgments bowls of wrath i mean a lot of judgments a lot of pain a lot of misery on the earth and and yet heaven from the altar is telling us uh this is right yes lord god the almighty true and just are your your judgments he never gets it wrong he is furious for a reason and it's because he's holy he's just he's true he's the lord god Almighty. It also has something to do with who we are. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand on this one. But just think about it. How many of you have ever sinned knowing before you did it, like premeditated, this is against God, but I'm going to do it anyway. See, that's the condition of your heart, my heart. That's why we need Jesus. We cannot rescue ourselves from that unholiness, that sin. See, but it's partly because of who we are. Verse 16, chapter 6, just in the the song, it says, uh, after saying, just are you, O O holy one who is and was, for you brought these judgments. Verse 16, for they, the, the people, have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. It's what they deserve. Now, that's harsh, right? But, and you might think to yourself, well, uh, I'm not living yet. That's futuristic. I'm not living yet. I haven't, you know, participated in the, the bashing of the, the prophets or, you know, shed the blood of the saints or whatever. But, but the scripture says it was for our sin that Jesus' blood was shed. So we have. See, it's what, it's what we, we deserve. Now, grace is 
we're not going to get what we deserve. We're going to get something completely different. We're going to have experience mercy and grace in Christ. But it is what we deserve. Now, here's the good news, right? So you think about this. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, people always want to blame the crucifixion on somebody else, right? The Jews did it. The Romans did it. You ask a Jew, the Romans. Ask somebody from Italy, Jews. Ask you, I wasn't there. I didn't, I didn't nail him to the cross, you know? But the thing is, uh, we all participated in that. In Romans 5, 8, it says Paul was writing to the Romans. It's interesting that he's writing to the Romans because who, who, what, whose soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross? It's the Roman soldiers. He said, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, um, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While we were nailing him to the cross, he died for us. This is the gospel. This is the simple gospel message. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Again, to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the fury of God. Saved from his righteous justice. Saved from his wrath. You'll go from being a child of wrath, an enemy of God, to being one of his kids protected and clothed in righteousness. If you will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel is such good news. People think it's good news because it's a ticket into heaven. That's how Americans learn the gospel. Like, just accept little Jesus into your heart. He, he doesn't come into your heart. He's not in there because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You believe in him and receive the Holy Spirit. See, He's in a place of authority from which he will return. But Americans receive this ticket to heaven. And they think, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And while I'm living, I can kind of do whatever I want. It, and, and at the end of the day, once saved, always saved. Ha ha, I got my ticket. And the reality is, what the scripture teaches us is that the, the, a walk with Christ is way different than that. And the good news is, he died for you to clothe you in righteousness, not to give you a ticket to heaven, but to save you from the fury of God. The wrath of God which we're getting ready to see. It's kind of because of who we are. So why are, why our loving God is a God of fury? He is because he's just, because he's holy, because he's true, because he's almighty. He's the only one that can execute judgments that are just and true. And it's because of who we are, because we, we deserve that because we are participants in sin, in rebellion, and all that. And barring Christ, we should drink these bowls that I'm getting ready to talk about. In Christ, we are saved. Why do I tell you that now? Because the bowls are so terrible, you need to know. You need to know you're saved by grace through faith. Through faith by grace. Now, Revelation fifteen fourteen. Who will not fear, O Lord, the glo- and glorify your name? 
when we're getting to a point now in the book of revelation where where heaven is beginning to exclaim you know everybody's going to fear your name at this point paul said it to the church at philippi chapter 2 verse 9 to 11 therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father is we are at that moment where every knee is getting ready to bow and every tongue is getting ready to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because of the pouring out the judgment that leads then to the restoration of all things. So why is our love our loving God? Why is also a God of fury is because of who he is because of who we are is because he's restoring all things. Now, let's look at the seven bowls of fury. How many are you ready for the seven bowls? fury chapter uh 15 5 to 16 and most of chapter 16 we're going to look at all this now so uh verse 5 we get a glimpse from john's eyes into heaven and he tells us the source of what he's going to call seven plagues or seven bowls of wrath and the source is from the holiest place in heaven. So verse five, after this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. I don't know what, what you think about when you think about the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. But he's looking into heaven. He has a vision into heaven and he's seeing what he understands copies of. He's seeing the real thing. So like the tabernacle, the temple, the holy of holies that was on the earth, that was on the planet. Those are copies of what is in heaven and he's looking into heaven and it says he sees the sanctuary of the tent of witness now that word for sanctuary there's two words for it or, or temple there's two words for it the word used here is nios which means the most holy part of the temple it's not just like the temple in general but the the most holy part of the temple and it's used when describing the holy of holies in the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which contains two tablets or the, or the commands of God. That's why this is called the, the Sanctuary, the Tent of Witness, or, or the Sanctuary, the Tent of Testimony, because it contains, in the holiest part, the words of God that we could not keep. It's the testimony of God, the law of God given to Moses at, at Sinai, placed in the Ark of the Covenant and here in the Holy of Holies. It's from this place, the word of God is spoken. Um, it contains, it says the seven angels with seven bowls of wrath emerge from that Holy of Holies. And we have what is called the Shekinah glory of God present. It's evidenced by smoke. And you, and you see that in in verse five to eight. So the reason I think that's important and the reason that I think John tells us that there is that there should be no mistake that everything that is getting ready to come is coming from the most holy part of God's house, from God himself. This is coming from him. This is, this is why we get those verses. And there is a voice that speaks it is the the voice of god in chapter 16 verse 1 it says then i heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of god now so this is directive from god in the most holy place 
to the angels to pour out the bowls. Now, all of this is taking place in the great tribulation. It's seven years of tribulation, of judgments that are going to culminate pretty soon here in our readings. This seven years this is the, toward the end of that. Now, well, here are the bowls. Bowl number one. I'll just list these for you. Bowl number one is poured out. There are harmful sores on those who bore the mark of the beast. We, we talked about that mark last week. It's taken by people who want to buy and sell. And so they worship the beast in order to buy and sell. Bowl number one, harmful souls on the sores on those who bear the mark of the beast. This is, I'm just going to, for those of you that are taking notes feverishly, this is the sixth plague in Exodus chapter nine, verse 10 is the, the parallel. Bowl number two, the sea became like blood and everything in the sea dies. Okay, so this is the, the, the first plague, Exodus chapter 7, 7 to, to 21. I just wanted to think about if the sea became like blood, whether it's real blood or whether it's red tide like you've never seen it before. If the sea becomes like blood, what happens? How dependent are we on the sea for everything? I mean, scientific process is down to the food we eat. Um, it says in bowl number three rivers and springs of water become like blood this is this is the first plague exodus 7 17 17 to 21 now the first three bowls the people who bore the mark of the beast are are covered in source the second one the sea becomes like blood the third rivers and springs of water become like blood so what happens when you have no fresh water We have an abundance of it right now, right? Like we can't even imagine having no fresh water. In this situation, bowl number three is poured out. There is no access to fresh water. Now there's an interpretive interlude here that I've already spoken about in chapter uh, 16, verse five to seven. And it shows that God is entirely just in what is happening to the earth and its inhabitants. I think heaven gives us this here. Uh, just are you, O holy one who is and was, For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord, God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. I think because everybody who reads this would think like, isn't that a little harsh? Just the first three bowls. Isn't that a bit much? And heaven says to us, no, it's not. His judgment is executed perfectly because he's the holy one. It's what they deserve. So the scripture says, and and it echoes again, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. These bowls that you're pouring out are perfectly executed for this situation. Bowl number four. Uh, Revelation chapter 16, verse 8 and 9 says, The sun scorched people with fire and fierce heat. Bowl number five, the bowls poured out on the throne of the beast. We don't know like a geographic location. I don't have GPS coordinates. But what we do know is that people gnaw their tongues in anguish for their pains and their sores. This is the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10, 21 to 29 is the parallel. Um, so five in, we have no water. We have everyone with mark of the beast has sores. Sea is turned to blood. Sun is scorching people with fire and fierce heat. And now 
the, the, the throne of the beast, the, the trajectory, his agenda is being judged and, and people are, are in such anguish, they gnaw their tongues. Bowl number six. Bowl number six, it says the waters of the Euphrates dried up. And this is like the 10th plague in Exodus chapter 12, 29 to 32. Why does it tell us that? The, the Euphrates River is a, is a gateway marker, an ancient boundary between east and west, right? So it, it is just like, just like Clear Creek marks the end of Harris County right there. It's a marker. And so when it dries up, the scripture even tells us when it dries up, it makes way for the kings of the east uh, to come. And, uh, and that east-west boundary that is usually a bit of an obstacle is no longer. Also in this section, Revelation chapter 6, 12 to, to 16, bowl number 6. If you look at that, it says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, here's where it gets interesting, if it wasn't already. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the king of the whole, kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of, the, of God Almighty. And so these frogs, three frogs, they represent that unholy trinity of the dragon and the two two beasts that we've already talked about these three demonic spirits representing their authority go about and their purpose is to assemble king kings of the nations for battle all in one location one place so just hold on to that we'll come back come back to it the place that they assemble for battle in this this is a place, it says in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, and they assembled them at the place in Hebrew that is called um, Har Megiddo or Armageddon. So I, w- I want to show you just a map so you can understand uh, a little bit of where that is. It's kind of hard to see. But <clears throat> big picture, what I want you to see is that big blue part right there is the Sea of Galilee in Israel. See that? Everybody got that? If you move to the left, you see a huge valley. See, see uh, it's in the red circle, and it kind of looks like an arrowhead pointing that direction toward the Mediterranean Sea. And that big valley is the Jezreel Valley. See how big it is? It's bigger than the Sea of Galilee. It's huge. It's huge. If you stand on one edge of it and look at it, you'll, you'll be amazed. Um, on the uh, north um, sort of uh, west side of that Jezreel Valley, there's a, a, a place called Megiddo. And Har, Har Megiddo means hill of Megiddo, which is a, a settlement there. Armageddon is taking place in what is now called the Jezreel Valley, right? So it's probably a global war, but the staging place takes place right there. That's the epicenter of that particular that particular battle now that's what we know from revelation chapter 16 verse 16 it is a battle that takes place on the great day of the lord this is bowl number six bowl number seven bowl number seven says it's poured into the air and we get this it is done it is finished same words jesus jesus uh just screams out on the cross there's an earthquake like never before 
according to the scriptures, like never before has been on the earth. And it splits Jerusalem into three parts, the great city into three parts. This is also uh, prophesied in Zechariah chapter 14, 1 to 5. For those of you who have time, I want to go back and read it. But there's this cataclysmic, the great earthquake splitting the city into three parts. And 100 pound hailstones fell from heaven on people. That's bowl number seven. Now, I was in a hailstorm in Waco when I was in college that was softball size hail. I was in my car. Have you ever been in your car when that happens? I mean, my car, it was an old, like, Nissan pickup truck, and it was beat to death. No windows left, you know, just, like, beat to death from softball size hail. We're talking about 100-pound hailstones. Bowl number seven. All of this in judgment to bring God's people out of bondage through judgment and into promise. Now, it's interesting as you look at this, the ancient response of humanity rings true in the future when all this happens. Two things happen. Number one, we see that people curse God and do not repent. Can you believe that? Like seven bowls of wrath? Man, if I went through one bowl of wrath, I, I would, you know, maybe not. People curse God and will not repent. We see that in Revelation 16, 8, Revelation 16, 11, Revelation 16, 21. They curse God and will not repent, and thus they become cursed. The difference is followers of Jesus during that time hear him and obey him especially in this time. So they stick way out. They're very different. They don't have the mark of the beast. They aren't uh, cursing God, but they're, they're repentant. This is the same response people have to God today. Right? When, when you hear a message from God, from his scripture, from the word, you got to ask yourself the question, am I going to ignore that or am I going to hear and obey? It's the same thing people are doing with these seven bowls of wrath. I don't care how many sores I have on me. We don't have any water to drink and 100-pound hailstones coming from the sky. Earthquake like it's never been before. A third of the world's population has died. Sea turned to blood. Not repenting. We all have this... We all have this choice to make. We, we repent and we follow God and we hear him and obey him or we don't. And, and people in that day, it says over and over again, three times, they cursed God and did not repent. Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. This is what we need to hear. Jesus says, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go out about naked and be seen exposed. Now, here's the admonition. Stay awake. Stay awake. See, the thing is, people want to make this particular section of the scripture, they want to make this about rapture and timing. It's, the, it's not the point. I'm just going to say something that's going to make people mad, but it's okay. Rapture, the word, not in the book of Revelation. Go find it for me. Bring it back. Tell me I'm wrong. It's not in the book of Revelation. That doesn't mean there's no rapture. I'm just saying it's not in the book of Revelation. 
so this we can't use for that. People want to say, okay, so see, he's coming like a thief quietly. And they insert before all this tribulation takes place. He will come before and quietly. And we won't have to go through all this, but we're just adding to the text there. We don't know that. We just don't know that. And then people will say, okay, so, so he, he'll come before the tribulation and he'll come again a second, a, th- a third time really on the onset of the millennium. And that's what you believe if you're kind of pre-tribulation rapture. You believe he's going to come before the tribulation, get you out of here quietly like a thief, seven years, all this stuff happens. And he's going to come back again and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna rule and reign with him the millennium. All I'm saying is as I read the text, I think what I see is we go through the tribulation. I don't see an exit. And this is certainly not an exit verse. Jesus is coming back again, but I don't have anything that says he's coming back. And then he's coming back again. He just says he is coming back again. Um, He's coming quickly like a thief, I think, at the end of the tribulation, which is why we get this verse here but what's the purpose of this word this word is it timing or is it obedience is it timing or is it obedience we want to make it about timing it's really about obedience it's about staying awake it's about walking in the clothes jesus put on you when he died on the cross to save you from your sins to walk in the clothes of righteousness. He's he's saying, don't fall away. We've heard this already. Endure, hear and obey. He's saying in a nice way, don't be spiritually exposed when Jesus appears. Don't show up to the party with no clothes. Be clothed in righteousness. He will execute judgment. The seven bowls will neither be too little or too much, but perfectly executed justice to bring about the restoration of all things. He will come like a thief. It will seem swift. The people of God will bless God when he comes. Psalm 37, 27 to 29, it says, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of wrath shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and will dwell upon it forever. Even David, the psalmist is saying here, like turn away from evil and do good. Understand God's not going to forsake you, but the children of wrath, they will be cut off. They will be judged. You are going to, in Christ, inherit this land. The righteous will inherit the land, this new Jerusalem. But the the unrighteous will be cut off. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 8, just to make sure we know who, who the righteous people are. It's not who does the most good stuff. Listen to the words. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, every one of us, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen, but God being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Listen, because you do have a furious God. Listen to his love. By grace, you have been saved from his fury. And raised us up. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You really will sit with Jesus and rule and reign according to the scriptures. And that's his, you don't deserve it. It's his grace. He gives you a new position, a new place. By grace, you've been saved and raised up and seated with him. Sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming ages, these that John is talking about in Revelation. So then the coming ages, he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Same God who pours out seven bowls of fury. To bring about the restoration of all things. Pour out his fury on his own son, Jesus, on the cross. Isaiah said it's for the the will of God to crush him. It tells us the propitiation of our sin. He he was a substitute. What A substitute for what? For, For appeasing the wrath of God. The justice of God. The judgment of God. And everyone who believes will be saved. Here's my big question. Do you believe? I don't mean like to get the golden ticket. Like I filled out a card one day and (laughs) kind of living however I want. It's not like that. It's like you may go through the tribulation. You may experience seven bowls of wrath as the earth experiences it. Uh, We're not exempt from suffering and difficulty and tribulation. However, the difference is we don't worship the beast. We worship the risen Nazarene, the risen Savior, Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. And he seals us so that I might die on this planet, but I will go to be with him. And when the millennial reign that we'll talk about in in a week or two comes, I will rule and reign with him. When there's a new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem, everything's restored. There's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore. I'll be there, not because I did anything good, but because Jesus did it on the cross. And I think Americans are asleep. Stay awake. Stay awake. Let's pray. Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Lord God, open our eyes, open our ears. Help us see the things that you have said in your word that are true. That sometimes we want to uh, not think about. You are the same, the scripture says of you, God, that you are the same from beginning to end. You never change. Your character and nature is true and trustworthy. You're so loving and so full of justice at the same time. 
So we kneel before you for who you are. We confess to you that we've tried to make you things that you aren't just to make it a little bit more palatable, your character and your nature, because we don't understand and we want to cry out, this isn't fair. But we see that your justice is true and you are holy and is perfectly executed. And so God, we pray in the name of Jesus, would you save our souls? We repent of our sin, forgive us, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. For everyone, Father, that's heard this teaching today, would you woo them by your spirit toward your son? Would you help them believe? Would you let them know with clarity this is true? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. If that's you and you need to believe, you may, maybe you've been religious, but you've never had a relationship with Jesus and you just need to, to start that. You just, you just begin in prayer right where you are. You can just pray and confess to him. That's where you're at and ask him to be Lord of your life, to change you, to save your soul. Tell him you can't rescue yourself from your sin. You need a rescue. You need a deliverer. God, help us to be a people that hear and obey you, walk with you, that walk wearing the clothes of righteousness that you've put on us by your work on the cross. Help us to take seriously who you are as a God of righteous fury. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.